In episode 509 with parenting expert Pam Leo, we are talking all about how to be a better parent, how to parent through connection instead of coercion, through love instead of fear, how to meet our child's needs, the key to connection parenting, how to prevent your children from needing therapy when they're older, plus so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited about this episode because I am a student for life in all areas of my life, especially parenting. I always want to be learning and growing with my children. And if that's you too, you are going to love this conversation. And for those of you that have never heard of Pam, she is a family literacy activist, the author of Connection Parenting, which is essential reading for everyone, and a new children's book, Please Read. She has worked with families and children for more than 40 years, and she's worked with teen parents, parents in prison, parents in recovery, and low-income parents. And from working with all of these different people, she knows that every parent wants to provide for their children. And her love for books and her passion for literacy and her commitment to empowering parents are combined in her new role as the founder of a grassroots literacy movement, the Book Fairy Pantry Project, whose mission is no child with no books, because she says that books change children's lives for good. And it's her mission to get books in the hands of every single child. Isn't that beautiful? I love that so much. So for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 509. And now without further ado, let's bring on the incredible Pam Leo. Pam, welcome to the show. I am so excited that you are here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? I can. It's the same thing I have for breakfast every morning. I have raw applesauce and what I call Pam's porridge, which is um, steel cut oats, flaxseed and chia seed. That's what I eat every day. Yum! I am coming over for breakfast. That sounds delicious. You are invited. Oh, that sounds right up my alley. Yum, delicious. (laughs) Now, I truly believe that being an awesome parent starts with us. Now, we have to look at our relationship with our parents and how we were parented, and it's our job to heal what comes up. So how do we do that? Well, (laughs) the way I talk about it in my book is to make a list literally with a piece of paper, make a list of all the things you want for your children, how you want it to be with you and your children. And then on the left side, on the right side, make a list of all the things you don't want to be part of your children's childhood. Okay. 
Then look down through the list you've just made and put a check mark on the do want list of everything you got as a child. And then same thing on the other side, everything you don't want for them, put a check mark next to everything you did get. And then look at your list. And what you see is most people find that they don't have as many check marks on the, you know, the things they want to be able to do that weren't things they got. And things that they don't want to do were things that they got. So the list of things you want to do will be your challenges. And the things you don't want to do will also be your challenges because, you know, it's so much easier just to do what we recorded. And so once we have that, that's kind of our roadmap of, okay, this is what I want to make different. And this is what I don't want to do. And, you know, knowing our parents were doing the best they could, given what they had to work with and their circumstances, but that we now have an opportunity to make it different. And so that's where we start is first just recognizing that we do want it to be different. And honestly, with all the parents I've worked with for over 40 years, every parent I have ever met has wanted life to be better for their child than it was for them. It's just really how it is, no matter what their circumstance. And if we don't do this exercise and have this conversation with ourselves and potentially with our partner, like you said, we will just replicate and repeat what we saw or how we were parented. A lot of parents just try to do everything the opposite, but either way, we're influenced by what we got. A hundred percent. Whether we repeat it or we're trying to do the opposite, we're still being influenced by that. Yes, sure. absolutely. Yes, you're yes. right. Yeah, that's what I mean. We either like we either recreate exactly how we were parented or we do the complete opposite and recreate something completely different. And I see. Yeah. And I think for me, I have a 16-year-old stepson and I was thrown into parenting, thrown into it very quick. Like overnight, I literally became a step-parent. I didn't read any books on it. I didn't you know, know how to be a parent. And this was almost 10 years ago now. And I did kind of repeat how my parents had parented. And I knew straight away that it didn't feel aligned with me. It didn't feel like my truth. And it took me doing a lot of internal work to go, hang on a minute, this actually isn't how I want to parent. This isn't in alignment with my truth and my partner's truth. And I got to recreate something that's more in alignment with me and with us. And it's such a beautiful thing that we can do. But something that I hear a lot from people is, yes, they want better for their children. They absolutely want better for their children. They also don't want to cause their children to have to do therapy or a lot of healing work. You know, and when we are conscious and aware, you know, that's that's at the forefront of our mind. Like, oh my God, I don't want to, you know, stuff them up. I don't want them to have to go to therapy for years because of me and the way that I was parented. So how can we, you know, do that for our children so that they don't have to have years of therapy and spend thousands of dollars on therapy? I think the the number one thing is just treating them with respect. And if I had to pick one thing from my book that I would call most important, besides parenting through connection instead of coercion, is the thing that I talked about, which was rewind, repair, replay. 
when we say something to our child and like you just said, that's not in alignment with me. That's not who I am, you know, but I was just, that was a recording that I have in there. My buttons got pushed and that's what played is that we can, right in that moment, we can stop and say, I am sorry. The way I just spoke to you was not respectful. I want to have a do-over and just do that. Every time we get tripped up by our old stuff that we got handed, we just, we need to stop. And when they see us do that again and again, they feel respected. And, you know, it's validating to them because I think one of the reasons that we have so much healing work to do is that we just thought that was the way we were supposed to be treated. And, you know, no one ever said you deserve to be retreated with respect. And no one rarely apologized if they you know, were unkind or disrespectful to us. So it's really validating of their experience of like, because for us, it's like, boy, that didn't feel okay, but it's what they're doing. It must be me. I must, you know, but when we say to the child, what I just said to you was not okay, or the way I said it, you didn't deserve that. Let's do this over again. And it also models for them that they can have a do-over, you know, if they come back with some, you know, thing that's unkind or, you know, they can they can see from our model that they can do that over again. Yeah, I love that. Respect is so important. It's so important. And they learn by watching us. And if we are saying, I'm sorry, can I please have a do-over? It's exactly right. They're learning. That's that's how they are going to model when there are fractures in relationships or or hard conversations that have been had, that's how they repair them. So I love this so much because, you know, I thought my parents were invincible. I thought my parents were nothing they ever did was wrong. I thought they were like superheroes because they never showed emotion and, you know, they were always right. And so I literally thought that they were superheroes and, you know, they were invincible. And it wasn't until later in life, I was like, oh, no, okay, they have emotions. So the more that we can be real with our children, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we kind of got handed that your children should never see you cry or, you know, these kinds of things. And what that message gives to them is it's not okay to cry. If you're not doing it, it must not be okay for me to do it either. You know, I mean, it doesn't mean you cry on their shoulder and expect them to comfort you. But it's certainly okay to say, I'm feeling really sad about this right now and I need to cry. And the message they get is, oh, you cry when you're sad. Yeah, Yeah. you let it out. You don't suppress it. (laughs) No, that's how we heal it is to let it out. You say that every generation softens what they got for the next generation. What does that mean? Well, I taught uh, my parenting class at the Maine Correctional Center in the prison for 18 years. And I got to listen to so many stories of what these people endured in their childhood and how that then affected their adult life and how they are with their children. And it's always softer. And so if what we got was harsh, we can only imagine what our parents got because they softened it for us. And so it gives us a little more compassion than judgment of how our parents may have treated us in certain circumstances. If we realize they softened that for us. So just imagine maybe what they got. 
Mm. Totally. Yeah, it's really big. You know, they they truly were doing the best that they could because if they could have done better, they would have done better. We're all trying to do our best. We're all doing our best that we possibly can. And sometimes that might not be, um, you know, what you ideally would have hoped, but we're all doing our best. And I really love that. You know, if, if you got it harsh from your parents, imagine what they got. And that really does make me soften. It makes me kind of have a lot more love and compassion for my parents mm-hmm. because, yeah, each generation, it's, they soften and they soften it for the next generation. So I love that. Now, you talk a lot about connection. And I think in today's age, there's so many distractions. We're disconnected from ourselves so much. And in order to connect with our children, we need to connect with ourselves. And I know for a lot of people, like intimacy and connection with our children is very confronting and too vulnerable and almost scary. I've heard people say it's like too much too much. I I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. It's too much. I can't do it. Talk to us about why connection is so important and what does that actually look like? Like, is connection talking to your child whilst you're scrolling Instagram? You know, what is connection? Like, how do we really strengthen that bond with our child on a daily basis? And what is happening if we are feeling very vulnerable in that intimate connection with our child? Wow. (laughs) So how we do that connection every day is going to depend a lot on their age. You know, when they're infants, when they're little babies, just, you know, keeping them close, you know, it's all about literally physically being connected to them. And we're biologically wired for connection. You know, we can survive without it, but we don't thrive. And so you know, as each year goes by, as they get older and older, how that's going to look is going to be a little bit different. And I mean, like with toddlers, what do they love? They love you to chase them, you know, come find me, come get me. You can't do that if you're on your screen. (laughs) It doesn't work. And you're, you're totally engaged and they feel that they know that. I mean, it usually has eye contact, physical touch, and you can feel when you're connected. One of the things that I have told parents is if you've had a disconnect and you've, you know, you've done rewind, repair, replay, and you know, you're hopefully back to reconnection, you can always tell if you're back, ask your child to dance with you. If they will dance with you, you're back. Because when there is a disconnect, they don't want to look at you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want you to touch them pretty hard to dance with someone and not be doing those things. So it's kind of like a little, you know, way of seeing, are we all the way back? Because you can always tell if, if there, a disconnect has happened with the child, they will not look at you, they will not talk to you, and they don't want you to touch them. It's, it, it's always that way. It's either one of those or all three of those things will be going on if there's a disconnect. You know, if we've been disrespectful or, you know, if we've gone too long without connection, you know, it's children that are seeking attention are seeking connection. They have to get our attention in order to connect. So I know I saw this really funny, I don't know, cartoon where these two moms were sitting on a couch and chatting and having tea. And the boy is on the back of the couch with a gas mask on and a scan of spray paint saying, I want attention. <laughs> and she's going, he's just doing that to get attention. <laughs> 
always <laughs> getting attention was something bad. And they they need that. They're especially toddlers. They're like rechargeable batteries, you know. And the charger is the person that they have a bond with, with a connection with. And so they need that multiple times a day to come back in and get a recharge. Absolutely. And so then when they get older, I mean, one of my favorite ways of connecting with children is reading with them. That is a guaranteed way to connect with a child because you both go into that same world together, the world of the story. So you're somewhere together. And playing cards, those are the kind of games, you know, as they get older and they want other things, you know, at the table, not like games on a screen, but, you know, just games are a fabulous way because everybody's involved and they're interacting with each other. And there's, there's no way to not connect when you do that, but you have, but making time to make sure that happens every day. So depending on how many children you have, you know, if you're going to do one-on-one time with each child every day, if you have five children, you know, <laughs> even if you only do five or 10 minutes per child a day, that's still time you need to carve out because that's the one way they absolutely know that they're connected is that you're making one-on-one time with them. I know. It's so beautiful, so special, and so really is quite simple. It's nothing fancy. Nice. You, yeah. You, you don't have to take them to a fancy restaurant or like you don't have to do those things. Like it's literally getting down on the floor with them for 10 minutes and playing cards or playing whatever it is. Or roughhousing. And, they love that. <laughs> totally. Totally. And it's so interesting. Like I observe my toddler all the time. I'm constantly just observing her and just so curious about her, you know, and what's going on in her mind. And I absolutely agree. Like she gets filled up from connection with me and, you know, with Nick's parents, my parents, with my husband, with our nanny, who she loves and adores, like playing, like all she wants to do is play. And so for us, you know, we go down to the beach, my phone is on aeroplane mode and out of sight in my bag away from us. And we went down there for an hour yesterday afternoon and I just chased her around and we ran in and out of the water, in and out of the water, in and out of the water multiple times and filling up the buckets. And it's so beautiful. I feel like you get to kind of let your inner child out when you have children you get to really relive some of your favorite childhood things when you have kids. And I've fully embraced that since having my daughter, like getting on the floor, crawling around, rolling around, getting dirty, like just letting <laughs> letting go because I've been so put together for so long. And then you have kids and you're like, let's just let it out. And it's such a beautiful thing to do. And we don't have to make it complicated and we don't have to make it expensive. It's just very simple. It is. And like I said, simple, but not always easy because parenting never used to be and was never intended to be a one or two person job. And so many parents are doing parenting without the support they need. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because firstly, yes, we are doing that. And there's also this belief system that women, a lot of women have that we have to do it on our own. And it's a sign of weakness if we ask for help. It's a sign of weakness if we ask our mother-in-law or our mother or someone to help us. So there's that piece of it. And then there's also like evolutionarily, 
we were not designed to do this on our own. Like we were in tribes and communities. So can you talk to that? Sure. Um, and I mean, it's very cultural. I mean, in other cultures, it's, it's completely that way. It's really more Western culture that is this, the nuclear family is everything. And the nuclear family is not enough. It's simply not. And one of the things in the States that is really, we're looking at is called the evolved nest. And it's about parenting in that way that the families are supported. That, you know, I mean, it sounds like you have great extended family support, but that's not the case for so many families. And when I was teaching my workshop for a long time, it was a six-week workshop. And parents kept saying to me, this is too hard. This is just too hard. I can't do it. And I was like, this is so simple. Why are people telling me it's so hard? And then I realized it needed to be a seven-week course. And the seventh week was about the needs of parents and how if we don't naturally have that extended family, we need to create it. You know, we need to invite people in to be part of our village because our children need parents who are supported. Because if we've got, we are just spent, we got nothing to give them. If it's taking everything we have just to keep a roof over their head and food on the table, there's nothing to give them. So in order to be the kind of parent we want to be, we need support. And it wouldn't even, you know, that grandmothers were a huge part of, you know, children's childhood. And so if we don't have a grandmother, then we need to adopt one. And there's lots of grandmas out there, women out there who would delight in having that role. They would love it. So we really need to just look at it never used to be and it was never intended to be a one or two person job. And it's just everything is falling on moms. And especially in the pandemic, it's just been insane. And, <laughs> you know, it's showing up, it, you know, it's showing in children's mental health. It's showing in so many ways that we don't have that support. So I think one of the number one things that we can do is make it a huge priority to, to build that support, build those relationships. And it's not easy, you know, it, it's, you have to get to know people and invite them into your life. And that might feel scary, but, you know, our children need us to have support and they need someone other than us. They need other people that they can depend on and love and know that love them. I loved it when you said that your daughter loves her nanny because I was a family child care provider for 22 years. And parents would often feel like, I'm afraid they're going to love you more than me because they spend more time with you. And I said, you want to hope that they love me because they can't get a refill all day if they're not with someone they have a bond with. So they need all of us. We're co-parenting. And so in that situation, you want your child to love their nanny because then they can get a refill from her because there's a bond there. If they're, if they're in a child setting where that isn't happening, that's a long time to ask a little child to go without a refill. And, you know, you know, the minute you walk through the door, <laughs> everything falls apart if that's what's happening. So, yeah. Yeah. Her nanny, Tiff, she's here Monday to Friday. And she gets two hours in the morning with her and they, they're out, which is where they are right now. They're out, they're playing, they're in the bush, they're at the beach, they're having the best time ever. And it's everything. It has made 
this journey for me just so much more enjoyable because I'm not exhausted and depleted and not feeling resentful because I don't have a second to myself. And she loves her so much and vice versa. And they love each other. Like their bond is so beautiful. And I manifested like such an amazing, amazing person to come into our life. But she's now, she's, she's now our family. You know, she's one of our closest friends, you know, her and her partner, they come over for dinner. We go on holidays with them. Like she's now become such a huge part of our life. And, and your daughter knows that. Yeah. Exactly. She it's does. It's not separate. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. It's not fake. Like it's just a real bond and it's so beautiful. And I know when I first had her that that thought, that belief system of like, oh, shouldn't I be able to do this on my own did pop into my mind. And then I was like, no, like this is, we would not have done this. We would have lived with our parents or our grandparents. We would have had aunts and uncles and cousins very close by. We would have lived in more of a community environment. And it's just ridiculous, the expectation that we put on ourselves now as mothers. And it's just not realistic. You know, it's really not realistic to put every hat on the mother. And we have to share. And we have to get okay with asking for support. You've got to get over, master your inner mean girl, I call her, that's saying <laughs> that's saying you can't possibly ask for support. Master her, get over that and ask for support. And also, I was sharing this with my daughter. Her husband had to go away on business and um, we were checking in about what she had to do that week. And I said, you know, I had a, a couple that were friends of mine and they did something that I admired so much if one of them had to be away, it was on them to find the support that the other partner who was home with the children needed, not on the partner staying home, on the one who was leaving. And she's like, I like that. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. but, you know, if you think about it, I said, you know, Steve should call me and say, you're going to be available for Leah this week. I'm going to be gone. It shouldn't be up to you to say, mom, can you, you know, he's gone. He needs to replace himself. Yeah. So I thought put out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Our nanny just went to Europe to visit her family. She's French. So she went to Europe for three weeks. And during that three weeks, we launched my Holy Mama program. So she went, she went in the three weeks where I could, if I wasn't in the middle of a big launch, I probably would have been able to manage those three weeks without her, but in the middle of a launch. So I planned for that two months before. I made sure I had my mom come and sleep over once a week. So then that handled two days of the week. And then I had Nick's mom come a couple of days a week just for a two-hour play in the day so I could get two hours of work done each day. And I managed it. And it was great. But I asked for support. And I was able to have all of the weekdays covered so I could still do my, my work slots. And the thing is that I really want to emphasize here is that we need to plan. We need to prepare. If, yeah, if your partner is going away, get them to work something out or you guys work it out together. But, you know, don't get to the time where you're like, whoa, okay, I need support. Like, plan for it. And this was a gift to myself. You know, I really, when I was pregnant, I wanted to gift myself this support because we're all worthy of it. We all deserve it. And I am a much better mom 
this way. I am a much better mom when I am full, when I am rested, when I am filling myself up, when I am doing some work, when I am, you know, taking care of myself. Parents whose needs are met are much better at meeting children's needs. I love that. I love that so much. Talk to me about tantrums, you know, because this is such a big thing. And I'd love to hear your perspective on tantrum and what that child is wanting to communicate. My experience of a tantrum is that they've used up all their coping. They have none left. And, you know, when when things happen for children that are hurtful or a need isn't getting met, it sort of builds up and it builds up. And then one last little thing happens, you give them a cookie and it breaks and they just lose it. And you try to fix it and you say, I'll give you another cookie. They don't want another cookie. They want that one and they want it not to be broken, (laughs) you know? And so they're just letting it out. And if we can understand that and stop trying to fix it, and just say that really disappointed you, you know, what, whatever the trigger, which is all it was, it's not ever what it seems to be about. It's always the accumulation. And so if we can just keep them safe, don't let them hurt you or themselves and just let it empty out, empty out, empty out. Then I'm sure you've had this experience when a tantrum is over. It's like the rainbow after the storm. Every, it's as if it never happened. They're happy. They're relaxed because it's emptied out. It's gone. And moving on, <laughs> that's really all a tantrum is. It's just a spillover, spillover of accumulated frustrations and disappointments or unmet needs. And we can have there not be as many tantrums if we're paying attention. If we're like, oh, it's been a long time since we've connected, you know, because, and they'll try to tell us, you know, like, mom, 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 in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. And then finally, it's out of minutes, no more minutes left. So they will, you know, they feel it. They feel the lack of connection or the buildup of hurts. And we just need to be more paying attention. That connection is a regular thing, just like we feed them three times a day in snacks. We need to connect with them with that kind of regularity. And the younger they are, the more often they need it. When children get older and older, they can go longer stretches without connection, but they still need it every day. But when they're really little, they need it really. It's just like when babies are nursing or they're hungry more often because they're little and they can only take in so much. So they just need that more and more often. So just we have to plan for it. Mm, Yes. I've heard you say, hurtful children are hurt filled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you don't see children being hurtful unless they're full of hurt. Uh, that's been my experience of children, which is considerable. <laughs> this little girl that was in my daycare came home one day and she was just a sweetheart. She was just sweet. And one of the other children came up and just said something to her and she was kind of stiff armed. <laughs> and, and I said, That is so unlike you. I said, can you tell me what's hurting you that made you hurt someone? And she just burst into tears. And, you know, all these little things that had happened while she was at kindergarten that morning. And she, you know, just held it in, held it in, held it in. And now that she was back in her safe place, one little thing, and it just all came pouring out. And so, yeah, it's when they have hurts, they will express that by being hurtful. 
Another thing you talk about is this connection and connecting before we correct and or redirect or can you talk a little bit about that? I think that often what happens when a child does something that is not okay with us, we kind of just launch right into almost like an attack and really in a way, you know, like that's not okay. Don't, you know, don't do that. Don't pull the dog's tail, you know, whatever. And then we've frightened them usually when we do that. And so then their listening isn't really available. So when something's not going well and something needs to change, we need to get their attention first. Like, I am feeling not okay with what's happening. Can we talk about this? And, you know, have them looking at you. And I mean, obviously, if, if, if it's danger, you know, we're going to act immediately and apologize later, probably. But, you know, if we see something and it's escalating, we need to connect with them. And because they don't want to behave in ways that are going to create disconnection. Connection is what they want. So why would they do that if they had a choice? You know, it just doesn't make sense. So when a child is behaving in a way that brings the kind of attention they don't want, (laughs) they've just used up all their resources and they're calling out for help. And that's when we can step in and say, I see that you're having a hard time with this. But if if we lose it because they're losing it, then you've got two people who are out of control. And yeah, we just need to look at behavior as a communication. Always. It's always telling us something. Okay. Tell me about my daughter's behavior for throwing food off her, (laughs) off her, uh, high chair. What is this about? How old is she? One and a half. Okay. And what happens when she does that? Well, I I would say, darling, we don't throw our food on the floor. I would say that. <laughs> or I th- then I went through a phase where I was like, maybe I should just ignore it and then see if it stops. But she's wanting my attention. So if I if we're eating and then I get up and go and put my plate in the sink she'll, and she wants more food, this is what she does. She doesn't want any more food or, but, or she doesn't want the apple, but she wants a banana. She'll like throw the apple. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, well, at the start, I tried not to laugh because I thought it was funny. But then I stopped doing that. And then I would say, hey, darling, we don't throw our food on the floor. We, we've got to respect our food. We eat our food. And then now I've just started ignoring it or I'll say, hey, darling, we don't throw this on the floor. I would love your advice. Usually they're throwing it as they're done. They're done. You know, they're done. And so, but if we engage in this whole big conversation about it, you know, if attention is what they're looking for, then, (laughs) you know, it worked. So usually they're done. And so... I would just say, oh, I see that you don't want this and pick it up and take the tray off and I guess we're done. Not like it's like, well, if you're going to, you know, a punishment kind of thing, but just like, oh, I see you're done. And, you know, because she knows that you don't throw your food on the floor. Right? <laughs> she doesn't see you do that. Right? That's so very it's kind true. of a grand way of saying, I'm done with this apple. <laughs> That's very true. And I'm a very big fan of teaching children sign language yeah. as early as possible. And yes. people are like, well, then they won't talk. And it's the opposite. 
they talked usually sooner because they realized they have the ability to communicate. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, she does do sign language and she does the all done sign. So maybe it's either she's done or she's like, I want more food. I want the banana. I, I don't want the apple anymore. I want the banana. Like she would eat 15 bananas a day if I allowed her to. Like I'm not even joking. Loves bananas and avocados. And so I'm like, okay, darling, like we've had a couple of bananas now. Like let's, <laughs> let's, right. let's get out of the chair. So it's like usually she's like, I want another banana. The other thing too, she's old enough that you could have a very tiny table and chair and that changes everything when they can get up on their own. Mm. Yes, we do have that. Yeah. Yeah. She might be also saying I'm done with the high chair. <laughs> yeah. I We like the high chair because she's at our level. Like we like that, but we could always go and sit on her little chairs with her. Mm. Yeah. But they don't like it because they're confined. Yeah, it's true. Very true. Talk to us about children's needs and feelings and why it's so important that we listen to them. And how do we do that? How do we acknowledge them? Like, give us some more tips around this, like really allowing children to feel safe and seen and heard with their big feelings. Sometimes they're very big emotions and they're very big feelings. You know, being, letting them know that it it's okay with you that they're expressing those feelings. And I mean, sometimes we can get to be pretty okay with crying and not try to shut it down, but it's very hard for us to be okay with anger because most of us were not allowed to express anger, number one. So most of ours is still stuffed inside of us. So it gets really triggered when a child will be angry. All the anger we weren't allowed to express gets triggered. So it's hard for us to, you know, be there and give attention. And I mean, the earlier we can start with just allowing that, the sooner they'll know, okay, it's, it, you know, if you need to punch a pillow or go throw a ball or hit something with a bat. If you're really angry, that's okay. It's not okay to hurt people. It's not okay to break things, you know, and to start as early as you can with that model. But a lot of parents who came to my classes were coming into this information when their children were in elementary school and middle school and even high school. And that's not how they had raised them because it wasn't the information they had. And so what I would say to them is you need to sit down and talk with them and say, you know, I've been learning this new information and it makes sense to me. And I'm going to work really hard to try to change some of the ways I've been. And I want to tell you what they are. And so if you see me doing it the old way, I want you to tell me. And that's some serious accountability, <laughs> you know, when you tell children, if, if ever I'm disrespectful to you, if I say something that hurts your feelings, I, I want you to tell me, you have my permission to tell me so that we can talk about it and make it different. So, I mean, it does require a lot of vulnerability on our part to, I know I, my book is on audio book and I always tell parents. It's totally fine if you listen to that when your children are in the car. There's not one thing I say in that book that I would care if a child heard. However, if you do listen to it with them in the car or wherever you're listening to it, you need to be prepared for them to have been paying attention and say, well, wait, didn't that lady say? <laughs> no, if you're doing something that isn't what I talk about in the book. 
So, you know, again, it's that accountability if, if we're sharing the information, which we really have to do if we come into this information when children are older, because we couldn't do what we didn't know. Yeah. And we're learning and growing with them. We're no better than them. We're no, you know, more enlightened than them. Like we're growing and learning with them. And the more that we can show how vulnerable we are and and open up and be real and honest, the better. That's just going to form a deeper and stronger bond. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're being real with them. You know, so if you get word that a family member died or something like that, you know, and you tell them and say, you know, I'm feeling really sad or this is really hard for me. You know, they need models of like, well, what do you do when something like this happens? We're that model all the time. You know, we're that model of how to be angry. You know, if we swear and slam the cupboard door, (laughs) they're going to be like, oh, that's how you do anger. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's what they're going to do. Exactly. They are little sponges. They are watching everything that we do and say. I remember when I was in, I think year nine or year 10, my mother's brother died. And I remember she came home from like him just passing away. He passed away at his house and she came home that morning. So she'd been there all night, like holding him and being with him. And she came in and we knew, and she kind of like, you know, wiped her tears and like pulled herself together and like walked past us and went into her room, like, you know, pull your socks up and don't show emotion. And I remember that so distinctly. And I remember going, oh, wow, that's so interesting that she's, you know, not showing us, not expressing how she really feels. I thought that was really interesting, even back then. And now, you know, with the awareness that I have now, even more interesting. But, you know, we're doing the best that we can, but our children are learning by watching us. And I'm sure you've heard many parents say this to you, but is it too late? My children are in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s. Is it too late? Never, never too late. Because you can just decide. You know, you can do the same thing as if they were 14. You could say, you know what? I know you're grown. You have a life of your own. But I've learned some things and it makes me want to be closer to you. And I'm willing to listen to whatever you need to say to me about the ways that I, you know, you got to be willing to do it. You know, it's not an easy thing. You've got to be willing to hear it that, you know, things that you did weren't great and how it affected them. But if we're willing to do the work, it's there because I have never known anyone who didn't want to be connected to their parents. I mean, it's we're born with that. It's you know, it's biological. We want to have that connection. So regardless of you know what's happened for thirty years, that that desire doesn't ever go away. You know, it may be buried under mountains of hurt. And um, I decided to put the poem in the back of Connection Parenting was a poem that I wrote for the inmate parents for Valentine's Day one year because I couldn't give them anything other than a piece of paper they could take back to their cells. So I wrote it and I had it printed like a red paper for Valentine's Day. And so then when it just seemed like the perfect way to close the book because I was born to love, you know, and that seed of love is still inside. And, you know, it might take some digging, but that is still there. And we can, but now it's up to us to do that work. You know, it's too late for us to get what we didn't get, but uh, we can change it. 
it's hardwired in our DNA connection. It's, it's just, we all want it. We all crave it. But what if the shoe is on the other foot? What if we, as the child, want that deeper connection with our parent? And the parent doesn't? Or Well, maybe is unaware. So, you know, I think we could do the same thing. It's like, you know, mom, let's just say, for example, since I've become a parent and I've been reading all these books and, you know, I'm trying to be this way with my daughter and I want to be close with you too. And this is what would make me feel closer to you than I do now and figure out what that would look like so that we can give it to them. And, and you know, chances are they'd be happy to. They would be happy to do that. But when you were saying about your mom, you know, coming home and just stiff upper lip, you know, that was probably her model, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Because whatever was modeled for us is what we learn. Pass it on unless something happens to take us in a different direction. And it's never too late. It's never too late. You know, I have one of my girlfriends who's in her 40s who has not really had a relationship with her mom all her life. And she has just started reconnecting with her mom. And it's been really beautiful to witness this relationship start to really deepen. And, you know, she never thought that she would have that. So it's never too late. I would love to hear how you got into this work. How did connection parenting all start for you? For me, it started with the very first parenting book I ever read, which was How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. When I read that book, it was like the first time and it sort of dawned on me that it could be different than how I experienced being parented. And my oldest daughter was like three, I think, at the time. And so it just made me want to know more and more and more. And so I would get more books and read more books. And I loved it. I just, it felt true. It felt good. And for a short time, my daughter was in childcare and we were both miserable. She cried, I cried. And so her childcare provider said, why don't you be a childcare provider? And then you can be with her. And I said, I think I will (laughs) because I wanted to be with my own child. And so then if I was going to be responsible for other people's children, I felt like I wanted to know even more. And so it was kind of like having a living laboratory because I would be with these children during the day and I would read at night and on the weekends. And so I could think, was this true or not true? You know? And so then I started sharing the things I was learning with my daycare parents and then with other childcare providers. And it just kind of grew from there, you know, and people kept saying, you should write a book about this. You should write a book about this. But I I felt like I don't have all the pieces yet. I don't have all the pieces yet, you know, because like every new book I read was another piece of the puzzle. And then I finally realized I would never have all the pieces. <laughs> and so I could at least share what I had. Like, I don't have it all, but here's some good stuff. And so, yeah, it came from there. But I had taught that class for 16 years. So I had the benefit of all those parents taking this home and trying it out and coming back each week and saying, this was hard, this was great, you know, sharing with me, what were their challenges? What were their wins? So I had, it was thoroughly field tested and I had, I learned so much from them. It was great to have that, all that went into it as well. 
And how old are your children now? My oldest daughter is 50 and my second daughter is 43. Wow. And you're still working on your relationship with them? Always, always. That never changes. Mm. It never changes. You always have to work at it. Especially, I think even especially once we're, you know, in our own houses, like it has to be important enough to maintain that connection because there's too much about life that can just pull you in so many directions. So it has to be a priority that that's something important to you. Absolutely. So beautiful. Well, you are helping and supporting so many people. You truly are. And it's just such a gift. Your work is such a gift. What would you like every parent to know or parent to be? (laughs) That it is so doable, you know, that it may sound hard to do, but it's, I mean, I, my goal was to write the simplest book that I could, the shortest, simplest book that I could put all that information into. So one of the reasons I was thrilled that you wanted to talk to me about it is that now so many more people are going to know about it and they can learn about it. And the way that I wrote the book, any group of people or even just two people could do the class for themselves. It's completely set up for you to have the experience of being in the class. So you could read it on your own. And I mean, most people probably do and not do the exercises. And I mean, you'll know some more things but it's in doing the exercises in the book, like that very first one of what do you want? What do you not want? That sets the stage for the whole book. And so if you get a group of parents together and share it, then you're already building your support network because you all have that same information. So I'm excited. My book is 17 years old and it's it just got translated into Spanish, which I'm really excited about. And I would love to see it in every language because it's universal. You know, it's not a cultural kind of parenting book. It's universal. We're all hardwired for connection. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It's not simple because we have to do our own work and be willing to do that. And parents can support each other in that. You know, parents need to be listened to too. (laughs) So, you know, if you take turns, you know, I'll listen to you for five minutes. Tell me how hard your day was. Now you listen to me for five minutes. Then we can go back into it with a little bit lighter load because we're not just carrying all that inside. We have a place where we can let some of it, you know, drain out and uh, get a little bit fresh start. But I would say The two biggest secrets to connection parenting, one is knowing that you can always rewind, repair, replay. And two is to not try to do this alone. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. There's no one person who has that much energy. You know, it just, it it was not meant to be a one person job or a two person job. So I'd say those would be the two things I would want people to know. Beautiful. I love that so much. Your book, Connection Parenting, Parenting Through Connection Instead of Coercion, Through Love Instead of Fear. We will link to it in the show notes. Such an incredible resource for parents and parents to be. Now, speaking of books, let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Besides your book, what book would you choose? I would choose Playful Parenting by Larry Cohen. 
it is my hands down next to my favorite parenting book ever. Wow, I have not read that. I'm oh, going you to... are in for a treat. <sighs> I have done workshops with Larry. I was not a playful parent, but I'll tell you, I learned from Larry and I am a very playful grandparent. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Yes, yes, he's awesome. And, you know, we know each other. We've, we've done workshops together and his has always been my number one favorite parenting book. And it, it, I talk about it in my book too. Wow. Yeah. Playful well, parenting. I, I will link to it in the show notes and I'm going to get it. That sounds amazing. I always want to, you know, be more playful and fun. So this is awesome. Okay. Let's talk about your day. I'd love to hear about how you set yourself up for a successful day. What does that look like? Like, what does a, your morning routine look like? Oh my goodness. Well, I now live alone. I'm 72 and I was caring for my mom who passed a year ago. So I've kind of had to recreate my life a bit because I cared for her like for five years at the same time being the founder and director of the, my nonprofit, the Book Fairy Pantry Project. So my day starts with, I try to do, <laughs> I try to remember to do my morning in the bed yoga things every morning and, you know, taking the time to make that breakfast that I talked about, because I know that's going to set the stage for my whole day. And I have like, I don't have an online, you know, on the computer calendar, I have a paper calendar. And so I have the month. And then I have it broken down into the week and then the day. So it's like, okay, what's on my list for today? And I love what I do. The project is so fabulous. I was out straight until I got home to do this interview today because I just had these opportunities to do some things that I can't usually do. And I just think this is what I get to do with the rest of my life, that I get to be with all these fabulous people and give books to children. And it's just the best. So I've read some things about that in your 70s can be the most productive years of your life. And I'm finding that to be true. Like, I don't feel like I'm slowing down. I feel still on fire. And there's so much I want to do before I leave. So yeah, every day is just pretty cool. I love mm. it. I love what I do. <laughs> oh, you're so beautiful. And yes, you are on fire. That's for sure. Okay, I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Definitely paying attention to what you eat. At the beginning of the pandemic, I discovered the community diet with Joel Furman, and he promotes that you eat G-bombs, which is greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds every day. And I've been doing that literally, it was just at the same time, the super immunity diet. And that has, I think that's why I get to be on fire at 72, because I don't have an ache or a pain anywhere. I do a hundred stairs every day and uh, I don't take any meds whatsoever. And my food is my medicine. So I'd say what you eat. You're amazing. You are seriously amazing. I love that. G-bombs. I'm going to check that out. That's awesome. <laughs> it's really amazing. And you just lose the desire to eat other things and you just love those foods and all the ways you can fix them. <laughs> Beautiful. Now, what is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. 
gratitude. Every morning when I do my stairs, when I get to the 11th floor, there's a window at the end of the hall that looks out over the ocean. And I just do my morning gratitudes. And I say out loud everything that I am grateful for. And whatever I need just comes to me. (laughs) It just does. I mean, I'm not wealthy at all, but I feel wealthy because I have everything I need and I'm happy. That's real wealth, happiness. I love that. What is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Decide to love. Mm, I think whenever we make that decision that we, that love is a practice. It's not a feeling. It's a practice. And if we practice love, then we have all kinds of, I feel so blessed. I have so many fabulous people in my life, you know, but I cultivate that. I pay attention to that. I nurture that. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom for all of the parents and parents to be out there so that they can be the best parent that they can be? I would say, (laughs) you're going to think this is crazy, but start reading to your babies the day they're born and never stop because that is a guaranteed connection forever. My 14-year-old grandson will say, Grandma, come here. I want to read this to you. You know, it's our connection and it has stayed that way. And I mean, yes, I have my project, which is about getting books to children who don't have books. But I have, I don't know of any other way that is an absolute guarantee at whatever age that you can instantly connect with your children than through books. So that's what I would say. I love that. So beautiful and so simple, so doable as well. This has been so amazing, Pam. Thank you so much. I want to personally thank you for being on the show, for all of the work that you do in the world. You're incredible. Your organization is incredible. Your book is incredible. You are helping and serving so many people. I would love to know what I and the listeners can do for you. How can we give back and serve you today? I think to spread the word about both, about connection parenting, let people know that it's available to them and to let the, to spread the word about the Book Fairy Pantry Project because it can be everywhere. It's everything is free online to do it. Every community has food pantries. It's, you know, it's social justice work for children to make sure other children have books. It's just a fabulous project and there's a a piece of it for everybody. If they just go check it out, they'll fall in love with it. Mm, Thank you so much. And we'll link to all of your amazingness in the show notes for people to check out the organization, the book, everything. So thank you so much, Pam. I'm inspired to be a better parent. I'm inspired to connect even more, to play even more, to remember that she's watching everything and to just be the example, be the positive example for her. So thank you so much for this inspiring conversation. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. (laughs) Pleasure. I feel so inspired to really look Bambi in the eyes even more get down on her level, to connect with her even more, to read with her even more, if that's even possible. And to just remember that I am the example, like she is watching me. 
She is watching everything that I do. And this has really inspired me to just up my game even more. There's always room for improvement. So I got so much out of this. I'm so inspired and I hope you are too. And if you got a lot out of this conversation, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. Now, please come and connect with me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me what you got from this episode. I love connecting with you and I love hearing from you. Now, before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, the happiest, and the best parent that you can be. On behalf of your children, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are amazing. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot of it, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. Maybe you can even listen to this with your partner and soak up the wisdom. Implement what we've spoken about. Read Connection Parenting. Your children will thank you. Your relationship will deepen and love is just going to pour out of you and into them and vice versa. So until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.